The peace of Christ be with you. As we gather on this holy day, this Christmas Eve, I invite you to give yourself the gift of about three deep breaths to fully arrive here. For your heart and your soul to open to the presence of the living spirit in, with, and among us. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. Standing or sitting, please join me in the call to worship. Celebrate among the peoples the reign of God. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Then all the trees of the forest sing for joy. For the Lord is coming to judge the world with righteousness and
actually going to encourage you to stay standing rather than be seated. We realize on our Christmas Eve worship services we have a lot of people visiting with us, a lot of family in town. And so we invite you to take a moment to pass the peace with one another. Turn to someone maybe you don't know and share the peace of Christ with one another on this Christmas Eve. of Christ be with each one of you. And as you find your seats, I invite the young people worshiping with us to come join Jeff here at the front. I want to invite our children who are worshiping with us to join me for our time of discovery down here. I want to, you don't have to, I can show it from here. I can show it from where you're sitting. So, I don't know about you, but I know we have some gifts under our tree, and I wonder like, what you think you're going to get, what kind of surprises are coming. We celebrate Advent this season before Christmas, and it's all about surprises, and what kinds of ways could, does God to surprise us with joy, with hope, with peace, and with love. So what kind of surprises are waiting for us today and tomorrow? It's an exciting time. What kind of a surprises? Because we know there are going to be good surprises tomorrow, right? Well, back here I got a couple of gifts here. And I'm just curious, which one of these would you rather have? <laughs> now, why are you laughing? So, <laughs> raise your hand if you'd rather have this one. Okay, a couple people, yeah, yeah. How many of you would rather have this one? Everybody wants this one. This, some people are very simple, very frugal, and they appreciate a uh, piece of paper wrapped around a box. I actually have to tell you, they're both empty. There's nothing in either of them. But the point of it is, we wrap things up and we make things look really beautiful, really exciting, but 2,000 years ago, this little child was born in a manger, in a feeding trough, in a barn, in the middle of nowhere. The parents who really didn't have a lot of money. That was Jesus Christ. And I wonder how many of us would have chosen that little child then. What a surprise it was when he came into existence and all the things that he shared with us. There's nothing wrong with this. This is a wonderful gift. But so many times the surprises that are waiting for you and are waiting for us tomorrow Christmas might show up in a little box like this. And so I wonder what surprises are waiting for you tomorrow. Whether they look like this, or whether they look like this, I wonder what surprises are, are waiting for you in our worship service today, because you get to stay with us today. And that may feel like this. <laughs> stay again here. But what surprises are waiting for you in here and tomorrow? We're going to stay in here, but I want to let you know our... our quiet room is open, our nursery room is available. Let's join together now in the community prayer that's printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. God of this eve, of every eve and every day, we offer praise for the gift of Jesus the Christ. In receiving this gift, we open ourselves to the everyday possibility of blessing. We open ourselves to the miracle of love that changes lives, overcomes evil, and leads us into more just ways of being. We open ourselves to the sacredness of our differences held within our fundamental oneness within creation. We seek release from the ways we have not lived into your dream and dedicate ourselves to the ways of love, mercy, and compassion. We dedicate ourselves to serving those most in need and we dwell this day 
in gratitude and hope. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, at Christmas we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. God with us when we are at our best, and God with us when we are less than our best. God with us, leading us back to God's light and God's love when we wander. Know that in Christ we are forgiven, we are set free. Thanks be to God. Amen. And now, either sitting or standing, I invite us to join in hymn number 134. Today's first scripture reading is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named 
wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace. For the throne of David and his kingdom, he will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onwards and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God.
From the book of Matthew, chapter 1, please listen to what the Spirit is saying to us. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration uh, and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to be delivered, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, 
do not be afraid. For see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, that the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in a manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about the child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Allow me to set your expectations for the sermon. Oh no. The gift of today doesn't depend on our abilities. That's the beauty of it. When I was a child, I slept for a long time with the lights on. Actually, having gotten glasses when I was a young person, not only did I sleep with the lights on, I kept my glasses on when I went to bed every night. Now, I'm not sure I was expressly afraid of anything in particular, but clearly something about not being able to see what was coming unsettled me. The fear of the unknown is real. When we're not sure what's coming, that can be an unsettling experience, being afraid of the dark. Now, it's not really about the dark, per se, and we have to be careful about light, good, dark, bad metaphors, but it's really about what darkness represents, what's hidden. We project that there's danger lurking in the shadows. And in Scripture, you hear this theme picked up upon. It's one of these archetypal metaphors. And often they're drawing on the imagery of a soldier who has to take the night watch, a very dangerous time in combat. And the only salvation is the morning light that comes. The darkness. You hear the spiritual life talked about in similar terms. The 16th century St. John of the Cross wrote about what's called the dark night of the soul, which has become synonymous with doubt, even spiritual crisis. The dark night of the soul. These past few years have felt a little bit like moving through the darkness. I suppose I shouldn't assume that's so for you. Perhaps it's been a, a wonderful time and you dwell in gratitude in a house of good fortune. And if that's so, I don't mean to inflict any guilt upon you. Dwell there as long as it will house you. But I suspect, in fact, I know that for many of you, for many of us, it's been a much harder time than that people carrying burdens and loss that feels like too long of a sojourn out in the cold. There's no room for them in the inn of good fortune. My hope, whether that's been you or you're someone who carries those burdens still, 
some sense of trepidation of what's coming for you or your loved ones or us or our shared fragile world that's been exposed in so many ways is that today is a bit of respite, a divine glimpse, God peeking into the world, hope, a light, a candle, giving us some sense that we'll be okay, that at least today you can dwell in the safety of this holy moment. But if you're wondering why it just feels so hard sometimes, the answer is because it is. It is. Somehow we've been taught that any struggle we have is the result of our own failings, perhaps. We must have done something wrong because it's out of the normal order of things. It's not how it's supposed to be. Rather than recognizing that struggle is just part of how it is. And moreover, we've been taught not to share about how we experience those things because somehow it's an indictment of us or it'll bring others down because we want to deny the reality that life is filled not only with good times and easy times, but with difficulty and struggle and even pain. But the struggle is no more unnatural than is the night. The struggle is an integral part of life, especially of growth. It almost always comes with some kind of trial. The Franciscan Richard Rohr talks about cultures that have rites of passage, particularly painful rites of passage as a part of the growing up process. And he says, he observes, that they're almost exclusively reserved for the men and the boys. Now, why is that? You might presume uh, there's some notion that because it's only the men who can endure them. But that's not at all what Rohr concludes. Rohr says it's because it's the men who need them. They need to viscerally learn the lesson that growth Maturation, evolution, progress only comes through some degree of trial and struggle, even pain, suffering sometimes, even blood. And what Rohr says is those who can give birth, even if they don't, but those who can are intimately familiar with the notion that the apparatus that gives birth to new life brings with it some degree of pain and suffering and struggle. And so they need it. Those who can't experience that need to be taught that lesson. This is why Mary speaks to so many. Mother Mary. We can relate to her on a visceral level. Though I wonder sometimes if the men who recorded her words dismissed some of the important ones or overlooked them or didn't recognize their importance because what we have preserved of what Mary says is beautiful and, and lovely and upbeat. In response to hearing the news that she will bear this special child, she sings, my soul magnifies the Lord. She sings this God who has done good things for me. And I wonder if she also felt some other things. If she also gave voice to some of the struggles and questions she might have also been carrying in that pregnant moment. The poet Leila Chadi writes of a very different Mary, or rather the same Mary depicted somewhat differently, perhaps more fully, and I would argue still faithfully. She's a Tunisian-American poet, and before I share the poem, this is what she says about her spiritual journey. She says, religion has always been a part of my life, though my relationship with my faith has shifted and complicated over time. Maybe you can relate. She says, I was raised Muslim by my father, but my mother's family is deeply Catholic. What most interested me about Catholicism, she says, is even as a young child, it was Mary. 
Mary, of course, and you may not have known this, also appears in the Quran. She was chosen by God above all other women. Mary, says Chadi, I understood, was the ideal woman. When I became sick in my early 20s in what was, with what was thought to be a form of uterine cancer, I turned, as many ill people do, to my faith for answers. I felt at once desperate for God's help and betrayed by God's silence. I formed them a deep kinship, a deep sense of kinship with Mary. Perhaps a kinship we Protestants haven't been gifted with. So she says, I formed a deep kin a sense of kinship with Mary, who had been young and female and also had little say in what happened to her body. But this developed alongside feelings of envy and shame. She couldn't measure up to this ideal woman. She says, if the ideal woman was deemed so because of her miraculous pregnancy, what did that make me, who would likely be barren? These complex feelings, she writes, led to this poem, which begins with a quote from the Quran. Quote, oh, how I wish I had died before this and was in oblivion, forgotten. Mary giving birth, the Holy Quran. Truth be told, I like Mary a little better when I imagine her like this, crouched and cursing, a boy god pushing on her cervix. I like remembering she had a cervix, her body ordinary, so like mine. Girl sweat, lacing rivulets like veins in the sand, her small hands on her knees, not doves, but hands gripping, a palm pressed to her spine, fronds whispering like voyeurs overhead. Oh, Mary, like a god, I too take pleasure in knowing you are not all holy. That ache could undo you like a knot. And suffering... I admire this girl who cared for a moment, not about God or his plans, but her own distinct life. This fiercer Mary who'd disappear if it saved her, who'd howl to, he howl to hell with salvation if it meant this pain and this blessed adolescent who squatted indignant in a desert, bearing God's child like a secret she never wanted to hear. Now, some will scoff at that Mary. Some will call that Mary blasphemous. This is not how you should respond when God gifts you with that child. And I suspect if some were given the safety of a space to be entirely honest, they would instead say, now that's a Mary to whom I can relate because I too have sometimes been given a lot in this world that I can't bear. Just like some in an honest moment would say, I too can relate to Jesus when he was on the cross and express those painful words of abandonment. Why have you forsaken me? I can relate to those two. Now, just yesterday I was still deliberating, ooh, should I share this reflection on a Christmas sermon? Is it is it not in keeping with what's faithful? And then I was wrapping presents and watching a Christmas special called The Star. Has anybody seen The Star? It's just a cartoon retelling of the biblical birth stories. And there's this incredible scene when they're going through the desert, Joseph and Mary. And it, Mary just reaches her point and she looks up at Joseph and says, just because God has a plan doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And it scares me. You can hear the tremble in her voice. It scares me. And Joseph, God love him, has this refreshing response in this cartoon. I'm scared too. But I'm here and I'm yours. All of that's faithful too. All of that is faithful too. 
we can share what's honest, what's true, acknowledge the frightening parts, and move forward. That fuller picture of Mary makes it all the more miraculous what she does. She goes into the night to give birth to the child of light. That same child who grows up and faces the ultimate darkness and emerges on the other side into a greater light than we could ever imagine. All the more faithful. Sometimes the pain and the struggle is trying to tell us something. Not that it's deserved, not that it's welcome, but that something needs to happen and we don't have to run from it. We don't have to be afraid of it. Historian of Christianity, Diana Butler Bass, writes of Advent, the holy season that readies us for Christmas. She says this, Advent recognizes a profound spiritual truth that we need not fear the dark. Instead, wait there. Under that blue cope of heaven, alert for the signs of dawn, watch, for you cannot rush the night. But you can light some candles, sing some songs, recite poetry, say prayers. We need not fear the dark. If there's any truth in Christianity, it is that. That we can go into the darkness with some degree of trust. And moreover, we don't even have to dread the darkness. There may be something in there for us. Patricia Pierce, great spiritual teacher, says in her We Awakenings podcast, she speaks, of, she speaks in praise of darkness because darkness is womb time where things are formed. Darkness is mystery. Darkness is where things can happen softened without the glare of bright light shining down and clearly defining everything. There is great possibility in darkness. It's we who've layered on all the negativity about darkness. You ever read Dark Night of the Soul? It's not what you think. St. John of the Cross, so famous for that phrase, I went and, and read the poem from which it comes, and it's not at all how it's been told to us. It has nothing to do with doubt. It has nothing to do with the spiritual crisis. The Dark Night of the Soul is a poem about the soul's journey toward union with God. The dark night of the soul is not a state of separation from God. The dark night of the soul is the pathway to God. We do not need to fear the dark. We can face it like Mary did, like Jesus did, bringing flesh and blood and a divine spark to bear on the world the sometimes harsh world around us. Jesus didn't ignore the sufferings or struggles of his time. He brought healing to them. Jesus didn't stay quiet in the midst of what was amiss. He spoke poetically about how things could be differently. Jesus wept. Jesus prayed. And when the time came, Jesus pressed his warm flesh against the cold, hard wood. And then emerged the next morning into a light no one could have ever imagined. You can't rush the darkness, and we shouldn't try. Instead, you can light some candles, sing some songs, recite poetry, and say some prayers. Tonight, when you lie down or whenever you lie down in the darkness, you can leave the light on. You can sleep in your glasses if it helps. It might do a number on your frames, but at least you'll be ready to see what the new morning births. Because the dawn is breaking, my friends. 
the dawn is breaking. Merry Christmas. be seated. Let us pray. Loving God, Emmanuel, we come to your manger, each one of us, in the stillness of this morning. We hear your newborn cry, the cry we have been waiting for. Make room, make room in your hearts and in your lives for me. Continue to insist that we make room for you, O God, even when it means reordering our lives in order to follow you. You have come into our lives this Christmas as a newborn baby, and your light changes the darkness. We give thanks for that light. We give thanks for the promise of that newborn baby. And hear us now, O God, in the silence of our own hearts as we offer you our Christmas prayers.
Unlike that inn on that first Christmas night, we do have room for you, O God. Meet us here this day. Meet us as the Christ child met the world so many years ago. Come to change our lives forever. And hear us now as together we pray the prayer that your son taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we prepare to receive our morning offering, I know that it's been a long tradition here at Westminster um, to send out all of the offering collected on Christmas Eve out into the community. So this year our session has decided that the nonprofit organizations that will receive our offerings are the Marin Interfaith Council and Presbyterian Disaster Assistance. So I do encourage you to give generously to those two organizations. few words of instruction. In a moment, we'll dim the lights. Not that it will be entirely dark in here, but we want to be illuminated only by the natural light and the light of the Christ candle for our closing reading and closing hymn. So after the reading, we will come down with our candles lit and spread the light among you all to avoid spilling wax on yourself and hurting yourself. The easiest way to do it is if you're the one receiving the light, just hold your candle. Oh, no, I'm doing it the wrong way. If you're carrying the light, <laughs> this is why. Those of us who are carrying the light will be holding it upright, and you who are receiving it, just bring your candle in sideways, light it, and then hold it upright for your neighbor and pass it all the way down. And now let's have the lights dimmed. Just an overture. <laughs> no, no problem. That's where we're headed, so it's good you know. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through this one, and without this one, not one thing came into being. And what has come into being in this one was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. And now let us sing. Take a moment to behold the light that spreads from the one true light. And it's a light that you can carry from this place. No matter what wind blows your way, it can burn within you and within us. And so as you go from this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God who is father and mother of us all.
and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit go with you this day, burn in you this day, now and forevermore. Merry Christmas. Christmas. Amen.